0: Thank you for being here this afternoon. Um, it is—it's just gonna—it's—it's it's been a great time of worship. Um, real quick, I want to talk to all of the kids in the room because here's—I'm gonna share. Like, I remember going to Christmas Eve service as a kid, and I'll just be totally honest, kids. Like, I know for you, you came here and you're like, this is the last thing between me and presents. If I can just... And I have these memories, like vivid, scarring memories of a forever-long church service. And I'm like, if we could just get on the other side, there's food and family and presents. And I remember this old guy who just talked forever. And it felt like church was where time stood still on Christmas Eve. And tonight I get to be that old guy And time will stand still for you a little bit. But here's what we want to do, because we love kids. As Jeff said earlier, we are so glad that you're here. And I don't want you to have to wait for presents. And so if I'm remembering things correctly, and hopefully somebody will help me, for our younger preschoolers, we have some gifts. And then for anybody else over five, like ages five to eight or nine, um, I want to invite you to come down here. And grab a present. But wait, you don't have to wait to open up this present. You come up here, grab it, go back to your parents or whoever you're here with. And I would say ask them, but you know, the pastor just told you to open it. So they kind of have to let you now. So I want you, if you're again, eight and under, my younger preschoolers, five to eight, come get a gift and then make your way back to your seats. We should have plenty. Parents, you can send your kids. This is awesome. Yeah, grab it. Grab. You don't have to wait. You get to open a present right now. And I want you to enjoy everything that's in that bag right now. Go for it. It's your gift. You get to play with it. If there's something in there to eat, go for it unless your parents say no. Parents, don't say no, don't, don't say no. As, as this is going on, I want to share a couple of stories about my traditions growing up on Christmas Eve. I really do remember parents. I'm not just like, that was not just a creative way. Like I remember Christmas Eve in, um, growing up, I would travel. My grandparents lived about an hour and a half away And we would go to their church on Christmas Eve. And it really did feel like time just stood still. I remember this old guy in a robe standing up and giving what felt like the same sermon. We sang the same songs. And I just dreaded it. It felt like it was going to take forever. And not only was it long, and it was the same story every single year. But my grandparents' church, and i got to be honest, I really hope we're not live streaming this tonight they would have this really unique tradition of if you were a guest, if you were a visitor at their church, they made you stand up and say your name, where you were from, and why you came. And at like six and seven years old, I remember having the wisdom, and I'm going to call it wisdom, to go, that's crazy. And they shouldn't do that. But every Christmas, we had to stand up, because it was my grandparents' church and say, yep, we're here again. We're guests. Can this please be over? And I sit back down. It was so awkward to introduce yourself in front of a room full of straight. It was so awkward that that's what I decided to do as a profession is that's what we do now. Um, so guests, if you're here tonight, I need you to stand up. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so glad nobody stood up. I'm just kidding. That's so awkward. We're not going to do that. Um, But it was a it was a family tradition, and then we'd go to my grandparents' house, and we'd play games, and we'd eat food, and we'd open presents, and it was a sweet time. My family had one other tradition that was um, something that we did year after year on Christmas morning, and I'm just curious by a show of hands, is anybody familiar with the Christmas pickle? See a couple of see a couple of people laughing, thinking I'm going somewhere weird and sketchy, but. Um, So my family I had to google this this week like to make sure it was a for real thing and not just a my family's crazy This is a real thing Um, so my family i'll tell you what we did my parents on christmas eve. We had this Beautiful pickle ornament That they would pull out only on christmas eve It didn't get to go on the tree the rest of the year because it's not that pretty to look at And they would hide it on the tree And I have one younger brother my younger brother and I would wake up We'd have to go wake up our parents. They'd have to come and say, okay, you can go. And we were on the hunt. Somewhere on our tree was a Christmas pickle. And the intent, I learned from the almighty Google this week, the intent of this Christmas pickle is to slow down Christmas a little bit and to focus on something other than just getting presents and opening things and greed and more and more and more, but to marvel at the beauty of the tree. And the beauty of the ornaments and the lights. And to cause this just appreciation for this season in all of its splendor and wonder. In my family, it was a competition that almost always ended in somebody crying. Because we would tackle, we would fight. My family's very competitive. As we got a little bit older, my mom stopped hiding it on the tree, and started hiding it, like, in the kitchen, or in the office, and it just turned into, and this is where I really hope, because I've never told this to my mother, but when I got a little bit older, like a teenager, I have vivid memories, I would wake up in the middle of the night, and go find the pickle, and then go back to sleep, and then pretend, they'd say, go, and I'd be like, oh, where's it at, where's, oh, look, I found it, yay, ha ha, and I'd make fun of my little brother, and I was pretty shady, um, So, this was a very familiar tradition. This was something we did year in and year out. And that's what this season is, isn't it? It's full of familiarity. It's full of tradition. And what I want to do is, I'm just curious, because in our home, this last week and a half has been birthday central. We had two kids have birthdays, and then we've been talking a lot about It's Jesus' birthday. I'm curious, tomorrow... Does anybody have a, t- a birthday tomorrow? Does anybody share a birthday? No? No? Okay. How about the 26th? 27th? 27th. Stephen Lasano, come on down. You get a Christmas pickle for your birthday. Okay, I'll come to you, bro. I'll come to you. Happy birthday. You can throw it away, put it on your tree, whatever you want to do. Um, so... <clears throat> This season is, I just didn't want a Christmas pickle, um, so I gave it to him. Um, this season is full of the familiar. And it's funny, what I dreaded as a kid, the older I got, the more I began to appreciate it. But I think there's a danger in the familiar. Because as I thought about it, this season, we've been looking at, at redemption, the, the certainty of Christmas how we can be sure that the story of Jesus coming into humanity really is true. It really did happen. And I think there's a difference between being familiar with something and something being a tradition and something being sure and something being certain. And so tonight what I want us to do is move away from the familiar and into the certainty of Christmas. Because the danger with familiarity, when something is familiar, I want you to think for a moment about your daily routine, whether that's a commute to work, whether that's getting kids off to school. Do you have to be real engaged in your mind and in your heart for your daily routine? No, that's pretty familiar. Has anybody ever gotten home from work and been like, I don't remember any of that drive and I'm in my driveway. It's kind of terrifying. You feel like you need to go back and make sure you didn't like hit a rabbit or something like We don't need to be present for the familiar We don't need to be engaged with the familiar But as I thought about this word certain Certainty Which we learned a couple of weeks ago is why luke wrote this book At all he said in luke 1 verse 4 that i'm writing this so you can be sure so you can be certain Of these things concerning jesus that you've been taught He wants us to be certain. When I'm certain about something, when I'm sure that it's true, there's a passion. There's a conviction. There's a celebration. Think not about your daily routine for a second, but think back to when you bought your first car. And how excited when you were sure that this is my car. And it was... 1991 toyota corolla baby blue smelled like cigarettes and bo didn't have power steering or air conditioning and her name was betsy and it was awesome You couldn't wait to go show it off to your friends and it was a piece of junk, but it was just great You were so proud of it You were so excited of it if you were one of those people that had a brand new car straight off the lot Jesus loves you (laughs) You should have had a betsy like everybody needs just a garbage car like it's so great um but there was this celebration of this thing and you couldn't wait to tell people about it. There's a difference between being familiar and being certain. And tonight what I want us to do is we usher in and get ready for the Christmas uh, event that is tomorrow is to move away from the familiar and towards the certain. I want us to be sure And so my question for you tonight is, are you coming in here familiar with the Christmas story? Mind and heart's not really engaged. Maybe this is just a part of your tradition. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making this a part of your tradition. But my hope and prayer is that we would move away from that and towards something certain, something we're passionate about, something we're excited and we want to celebrate. And so are you familiar or are you certain? But that almost begs another question, which is how? How can you be certain of something that happened 2,000 years ago? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked because Luke, our author, wants to tell us, he wants us to be certain and he's going to show us and he does that in three ways tonight. First off, we can be certain of the Christmas story out of, and I can't believe, Maggie, you are awesome. You had that whole thing. Maggie and Samara, like, can we give them another round of applause? Like, I now feel guilty for like having notes and like, you're a rock star, Um but in our story that, that they recited doing a phenomenal... They blew Linus out of the water, didn't they? Like, that was so great. Um, in What they recited, it started off with some historical information. We can be certain about the story of Jesus because historically, Luke points as the author of this book to real places at real time, in real power, doing real things so that we can really know that this story is true. The story starts out saying that there's this guy, Caesar Augustus, there's this census. He wants everybody everybody to be counted. The purpose of that registration was so that they could be taxed, that, the, that God's people could be further oppressed, further... Um, Taxed, they could take more money from them. It was a way to for them to come more under Roman rule. This isn't a good thing. But Luke gives us historical information. We can trace back and go. Yes, there was a guy named Caesar Augustus. There was a guy named Quirinius. Any ladies in here pregnant? I think that's a great name. If you're looking for a name, Quirinius sounds awesome. He'd be the only one in his class. I don't know if he was good or not, but. It's a fun name to say. Uh, Syria, that's a real place. Bethlehem, these are real people in real places. We could get on a plane tonight and we could fly and go to Bethlehem and be in the city where Christ the Savior was born. Luke gives us historical data. You can trace back and see, yes, there was a census that took place. This really did happen. The Christmas story is not one of myth's and folklore, and dreams, and imagination, but it's a historical account. This really did happen, and we can be certain of it, because our author Luke gives us historical information. Bethlehem is real. Nazareth is real. There really was a Joseph. There really was a Mary. He came from the line of David, which leads us to our next way to verify or check that this story, we can be sure of it, and it's, it's biblical. It's in line with God's story. Not only is the story of Christmas historical, but it's perfectly in line with what God had been doing from the very beginning. We're told here in Luke 2 that they travel um, to Bethlehem because Joseph is of the lineage of David. That's why they have to go to Bethlehem. This is extremely important. And Luke, as the author, is writing this so that the audience would know Jesus comes from the line of David. Well, that's important because way back in Jeremiah 23, the prophet Jeremiah says that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. That from the line of David, a king was going to come. And so Luke includes here, hey, this is part of God's story. Joseph is part of David's line. It's all working out. And he's going to go to Bethlehem. Because of this this desire to tax the Jewish people and to further oppress them, David has to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's an 80-mile journey with your pregnant wife. That's like from here to Castle Rock. On foot. Anybody want to go? No way. No, yeah, you don't want to go. Um, that's a long way, but God is in control of this story. And as He's moving parts and pieces and working His will and His ways through these people, Jesus is then born in Bethlehem, which again gives us confidence in God's story because in Micah 5 2, the, the prophet says, You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth, come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel. The city of Bethlehem was going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. And because of this census, Jesus is born in Bethlehem instead of Nazareth. And I would encourage you to go home, And just look up all of the prophecies and predictions and things that Jesus came and fulfilled. We're just going to look at those two. And then if we go all the way back to Genesis 3. There was peace between man and God. Life was good. And then we messed up. And that peace went away. But God in Genesis 3 makes this promise. Makes this uh, prophecy really over the enemy, his adversary, the serpent in Genesis 3, where he says that there's going to come from the offspring of the woman a man who's going to crush the head of the enemy and restore peace. And what did the angels sing in verse 14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. What was broken in Genesis 3, Jesus comes to restore and bring peace. Jesus was God's plan A. He's not plan B or C. He's plan A. This whole book is about Jesus coming, and we are just at the beginning part tonight of the rest of the story. As this little baby comes and he's laid in a trough, a food trough for an animal, this is not where he's supposed to rest his head. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords, and he's laid in a manger. That is not intended for a baby. This story is certain. And we can know that it's in line with God's plan. But then probably for me most significantly this Christmas season is that this story was verified. That the shepherds... It struck me odd when I started reading and, and should have memorized it. Um, this passage... That, you know, we've looked over the last few weeks that the angels show up and they break 400 years of silence. They show up to Zechariah and he has some uncertainty. He has, he has some doubts. They show up to Mary and she just has some curiosity. She's like, how's this gonna be? How's this gonna happen? Last week we saw, or last Sunday, two days ago, we saw Zechariah celebrate the birth of his son and prophesy and say all the great things that God is doing and is going to continue to do. But then now, here the first real public proclamation of the coming Messiah is to a group of shepherds. And that struck me as odd. Here are these, these guys that really aren't that well respected in the community. And they pulled the night shift. Like, they're not even, like, the daytime managers. Like, these are the night guys. And these angels, because the king has come. And when a king comes, it demands a declaration and a celebration. There has to be an announcement of the royalty that has come into the earth. And I just get this picture in my mind of the angels unable to contain them. All of this field to these shepherds who are protecting their flock. And they say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Guess what that word good news is? It's the gospel. They show up and give the shepherds the gospel that unto them a Savior has come, that Christ the Lord is here. They can't contain it And then they give them the ability, they say, go to Bethlehem and you can verify, you can fact check this story. Go see if it's really real. You're going to find a baby in a place he doesn't belong. He's going to be in a manger. And these shepherds respond. They go and they check out the story and it's true. It really happened. And the more I thought about that it's the, the fact that God would show up and that angels would announce the coming of the king to a group of shepherds. You know what began to hit me? Jesus came as a babe, wrapped in cloth, laid in a manger. But his mission is to become the lamb to take away the sins of the world. How fitting to announce to a group of shepherds that the lamb has come. The savior is here. To take away the sins of the world. Tonight, I want us to move from the familiar to the certain. This story is real. It's not just a part of our tradition. It really happened. It's historical. It's biblical. It was verified by a group of shepherds. And lastly, it demands a response. You can't straddle a fence or stay in neutral when it comes to the Christmas story. And I want us to look at the response to this good news of great joy. The shepherds fact check it. They see that it's true. They go to Bethlehem. They see what's happened. And then in verse sixteen or verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their hearts. Listen to this, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. What we see here at the end of Luke, or at the end of this passage, is I think not two different responses, because it's a little odd that you get the shepherds and the shepherds and then just kind of like thrown right in the middle is just Mary again, treasuring up and pondering these things. I think we see two different expressions of the certainty of the coming of the Messiah. Mary treasures while the shepherds tell anyone they can find. She ponders, she, she sits and she contemplates and the shepherds return singing and glorifying and praising. The Christmas story demands a response. And so tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to respond. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite the band, the worship team to come back up. And hopefully on the way in, you were given, I hope you got one of those little candy canes, but then also a candle. What we're going to do is in in a moment, we're going to dim the lights and I want us to start out like Mary to treasure the good news that Jesus Christ has come. And how I want you to do that tonight, and this is going to feel a little weird for a Christmas Eve service, but I want you to just take a moment and I want you to think about the things in your life that you're ashamed of, that you grieve, that you've done, the things that really, if anybody else knew, the thoughts that you've had, the things that would make you an enemy of God. We all have them. And then, like Mary, I want you to treasure the fact that Jesus coming sets you free from those things. That is not who you are in Christ anymore. And when you place your faith in him, those things are gone and he sees you as a son or a daughter. I want us to marvel and just be washed over with a spirit of just joy and celebration over the good news that Jesus came and he, lay, he started his story laid in a manger not meant for him but it's going to end in a tomb not meant for him. And just like his story doesn't end in the manger that he didn't deserve to lay in, the tomb couldn't hold him either. He walks out of the grave and sets us free. And I want us to spend a few moments, I'm going to have them pull the plugs on the lights and it's going to get dark. We're not going to light our candles yet. I want us to treasure and just contemplate what Jesus has done. And I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, I want you to, on the bottom of your candle, there's a little switch, light your candle. And after we've spent a few moments treasuring like Mary, I want us to stand and sing like shepherds, praising and glorifying the God who came to get us. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment. I would encourage you to just be real with the Father.